Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spodekindle, SVP of Product and Programming with ACFCS, and while I feel like I've said this on a lot of episodes of the Financial Crime Cast, I'll say it again. It's been an eventful time for the wide world of cryptocurrencies. The value of certain cryptocurrencies has been increasing lately, and institutional interest in crypto investment seems to be on the upswing. On the other hand, a number of recent enforcement actions on crypto firms have put the spotlight back on risk management and financial crime concerns related to the crypto space. This dichotomy between risk and reward in crypto is exactly what we'll explore here today, particularly through the lens of issuers and acquirers who may be providing services to crypto firms, whether they know it or not. As cryptocurrencies expand their role in the payments ecosystem, the world of crypto assets presents both risks and potential rewards for issuers and acquirers. Crypto exchanges and other crypto service providers can provide a lucrative customer base for banks, card issuers, others in the payment space, but managing their risks can be a tricky proposition. Fortunately, I have the perfect guide on this topic here today in the form of Steve Ryan, Chief Operating Officer with blockchain analytics firm CypherTrace. He is a longtime expert in the payments industry, and he's going to share insights on how risk management for issuers and acquirers has and hasn't changed in light of crypto. We'll also explore evolving regulatory expectations for control frameworks related to crypto and close out with some practical advice for FinCrime professionals and risk managers in this space. Well, Steve, thanks so much for being here. It's a pleasure to have you on the Financial Crime Cast. Again, my guest is Stephen Ryan, Chief Operating Officer with CypherTrace, and uh, I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you. Uh, really looking forward to, uh, to talking through it. So, uh, Steve, if you don't mind starting off by just uh, giving the audience a little bit of, of your background, uh, extensive background in this space, uh, and telling them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Brian, and, uh, and great to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me today. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, I've got about 25 years experience, uh, mostly in payments and kind of digital banking. I started my career uh, at a predecessor to Bank of America, which was Nations Bank, um, running their credit card networks on the acquiring side. Uh, later moved on to First Data. I ran product and marketing for them on the uh, on the merchant on the acquiring side again. Uh, did a small stint at Visa where I was the co-inventor of 3D Secure. Most people know that. It's one of the most successful authentication uh, systems in the world. And then I've done a number of sort of entrepreneurial stuff. Um, so that's kind of my early career. And then fast forward 2015, I co-founded CypherTrace. Uh, which is in the crypto analytics space. Um, and the reason for that kind of shift was I was looking at crypto at the time as a next generation payment system. So for me, it was a natural evolution to what I'd done earlier in my career. Um, and I could take a lot of my learnings from my original payment stuff, digital banking and, and so forth, and bring that in. Um, fast forward to today, we were acquired about two years ago by MasterCard. So while I'm still a big part of CypherTrace, we are wholly owned by MasterCard today. So we are part of the MasterCard family. 
Excellent. Thanks for that. And very relevant to what we're going to talk about here, which is crypto risk for issuers and acquirers. Uh, not just risk, but also opportunity, too, because, you know, we talk a lot about the risks in the crypto space and rightfully so and managing those risks. But there's a lot of potential here as well, as you saw in your, you know, looking at the crypto space as a, as a new evolution of payments. So, uh, so let's start there then. You know, what do we mean when we say, crisp crypto risk and opportunities and we'll start out with issuers we're going to talk about issuers we're going to talk about acquirers but let's start in the issuer space what risks do you see for issuers and what opportunities do you see as well yeah yeah that's and i think that's a great place to start because when when you think about crypto and crypto being bitcoin ethereum or any of the other tokens out there how do you acquire that right if you're a consumer no matter where you are in the world Generally, how you acquire that is you pay for it with a credit card or debit card. You can also transfer value over ACH wire and SWIFT networks and stuff like that. But let's think about it just from the credit and debit card. So those, those are key mechanisms for consumers to purchase crypto. And therefore, the issuers of those cards kind of need to understand those counterparty risks because not all crypto exchanges, we sometimes call them VAFs, are equal, right? Um, we know about 30% of the VAS out there, exchanges, don't have a KYC um, uh, solution on their platform. So what does that mean? That means you can go get an account at one of these VAS for exchanges with just an email address and you can transact, you can buy, sell and swap crypto. So if you're a, a, a credit card issuer, whether it's debit card or credit card, and that counterparty to the purchase transaction is an exchange or VAS that has no KYC, it should probably raise a red flag. So while that person behaves possibly correctly and they're KYC'd on your banking platform, they may be going off into this gray area to do some things that they otherwise wouldn't do, right? That's why they're going to a platform that has no KYC. So once they get there and they buy their Bitcoin or Ethereum, it's kind of the gloves are off. They can go do whatever they want to. So we consider that risk today. Yeah, great point. And, and Cybertrace has done some fantastic, you know, uh, research in this space. And I remember seeing some of the, the reporting you did around that that 30% figure. It's really pretty shocking, you know, that, that there's still still such a high percentage. And there's there's even, uh, you know, crypto exchanges and, and others, not limited to the crypto space, you see it with fintechs and others that advertise as low KYC or no KYC offerings, right? So that's that's what they lead with explicitly. Um, so, yeah, definitely some some risk floating out there. Um, yeah, but, but there's opportunity, too, because yes. just like I said, 30%. If you look at all the big exchanges, um, the ones you might recognize, uh, I won't name any today, but you can imagine, um, most of those have a very strong KYC program. They're domiciled in countries that have strong AML regulation. Um, they have really low on-chain activity that's low risk. So those are really kind of the blue chip exchanges. And those are ones that issuers need to look at and say, aha, that those transactions I should probably flow through without having any sort of policy decisions um, and, and just let them run through our risk models like all transactions do. If they, if they get caught and flagged there, oh, oh well. But 
we encourage um, issuers today to don't have a find all block all strategy when it comes to crypto, kind of isolate them out, understand what that counterparty looks like and risk rate them and find your tolerance level for risk and then let those transactions flow. There absolutely should be some that are blocked um, because of their risk characteristics that they can bring into the global financial system. But there's also many that kind of shouldn't be blocked. And we actually see a trend. If we look at FY22 over 23, we see approval rates going up and decline rates going down. So clearly the banking and the issuer industry is seeing a trend and they're getting much smarter about taking advantage of the opportunities where they can generate revenue, but also mitigating the risk for the high risk counterparties. Excellent. Yeah, it's good to see that. And I think it speaks to the maturity of the crypto you know, realm as a whole, right? And as the regulatory frameworks gradually uh, solidify around crypto, definitely there's been a, a, a significant increase over the past few years and even before that to the robustness of AML and fraud and financial crime compliance program at in the crypto, a lot of the crypto exchanges and the wider crypto businesses out there. So um, <clears throat> definitely, you know, don't want to paint it all with a broad brush, brush of risk. I think that makes total sense. And just listening to you, you know, it's also <clears throat> striking how these are, these are strategies that are not especially different than probably what some issuers out there are already doing in other spaces, right? Creating that kind of, Pat, you know, that, that safe list or that gold list versus the, you know, higher risk list, right? And applying more friction to certain processes that are maybe riskier, right? So um, we'll talk about how, you know, there's a lot you can apply and then there's some unique considerations in, in just a minute. But I, I want to flip to the acquirer side now, you know, so we, we talked a little bit about risk and opportunity issuers, but let's look at that from the, the lens of acquirers. What do you see as key risks and key opportunities for acquirers? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty similar. Although you know, as you know, acquirers um, these are the companies and banks that allow or enable the VASP to accept credit cards and debit cards for purchases of of cryptocurrency. So we we think what's really important there is to do initial due diligence. That's really really important, right? And there are tools out there today, Mastercard and CipherTrace combined. We have a number of tools that we help our acquirers all around the world understand these risks, so they can determine who they want to enable for card processing, card acceptance, right? And some of the characteristics they look at is okay, do they have a KYC program on them? How are they going to behave? You know, where are they domiciled? Um, what's their on-chain activity, which is something CypherTrace is really good at. That was where we got our start is actually tracing cryptocurrency activity, uh, primarily in the law enforcement world. But we've, we've adapted that to financial services so we can help acquirers, again, risk rate these counterparties. Do they want to enable them? Do they want them to be a merchant of record for the acquirer? Um, and But not only initial due diligence, but ongoing management and monitoring of those relationships as well, because we all know good guys can go bad. Um, and so we kind of want to monitor that. So are they getting more risky, less risky, um, or staying the same? So that's the kind of thing I think the acquiring world needs to see is when they enable these exchanges for card acceptance, strong due diligence on the front end, and then, but monitor them on a regular, either monthly or quarterly basis going forward to make sure they're still in the in the risk threshold that that 
the choir is comfortable with. Yeah, that's a great point. It's not a one and done situation, right? And if we look at some of the, you know, crypto uh, scandals, and we don't have to name names, but there have been some, uh, you know, crypto exchanges and others that started out as seemingly relatively prestigious or at least well known, and then turned out to be higher risk. Uh, I want to I want to return to a, a point you made about you know how these are handled by issuers, and you mentioned that acceptance rates are going up over time. Um, what do you see as standard practice for how issuers just interact with crypto kind of period, right? You mentioned there's a there's still this this block all strategy out there that uh, some employ, which you don't recommend. But what is the actual approach, you know, that's kind of common in the industry? Is there an industry norm or or an evolving industry norm? So great question. Um, I would say it's evolving. Um a few years ago, we saw many of, let's just call them the tier one issuers around the world, were doing a find-all, block-all strategy. And there's a, there a few problems with that. One, um, they're impacting their customers. So in, in most countries in the world today, there's only a couple where crypto is actually illegal. Everywhere else, it's completely legal. So when you decline a transaction on behalf of one of your customers who you've had for a while, you've KYC'd them, you've done all that, you've sold them multiple other banking products, and you just decline them from purchasing crypto on your payment products, it's not going to be long before you start to chase those customers away. So you not only lose the revenue off of, let's say, uh, you know, those purchase transactions for crypto, but you could potentially lose the lifetime value of that customer because Maybe they'll go move their car loan, their DDA account, their mortgage to another more crypto-friendly bank. So, and a lot of these, if you look at the Gen Zs and the millennials around the world, they're already not very loyal to financial services. So if you if you kind of chase them away, you sort of can lose that revenue stream forever. So, um, so we th- we think it 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 should you know basically take a a more systemic approach where you mitigate the risk and you look at these counterparties and that's what we see the trend is we see more and more of that i will say that there's still a half a dozen very large issuers around the world that still have a find all block all and um but i think they're the laggards they're the holdouts most of them have transitioned more into some sort of gold list capability where um they'll at least have their favorite eight or ten based on risk that they will approve um, and then run through the risk models, right? They're not going around those, but they'll still run them through their traditional risk models and not decline based on policy. So they, they are letting more and more transactions through. And that's why we're seeing approval rates go up. Yeah, yeah good, to, good, to, good to hear the evolution there. What about on the acquirer side? Is there, again, sort of an evolving industry practice or is there a best practice that maybe is not widely adopted by acquirers uh, at this point? I'd say the acquirers are a little bit more behind. I think they do a fairly good job of trying to do due diligence on the onboarding side, but I think they haven't adopted some of the tools that could do a better job of that. And and I clearly don't see people doing it on an ongoing basis. I just don't see that as a trend yet, which I think is really, really important. A, A byproduct of all this though, is if we get the issuers out there, sort of looking at the risk of these counterparties, we get the acquirers looking at who they're onboarding and managing their risk. 
we're going to improve the entire ecosystem, right? The ecosystem is going to become safer and more secure, ultimately for consumers around the world. And that's kind of what our strategy is, is just to make the crypto ecosystem more safe and secure for everybody in it. So whether you're a bank, whether you're a consumer, whether you're a merchant, or whether you're a government regulator, just making it more healthy and more secure. And yeah, so- fantastic point. I mean, it's uh, keeping the wider viewpoint in mind is incredibly important because, yeah, we're talking about risk management and we're talking about, you know, risk. We've thrown risk around a lot, but it is about ultimately securing the financial system including the, the crypto ecosystem for all participants. So appreciate that viewpoint. I want to ask about something uh, uh, that sometimes comes up in the context of banking in particular and like screening wire transfers, ACH, but may be relevant for this space too. And that's name screening for known crypto exchanges. Um you know, I, I know this is a, uh, or I've heard at least from some of the institutions that we work with, this is a pretty common strategy. You know, oh, well, you know, we'll throw the names on there and we'll screen for the names. And that's how we're going to kind of identify these transactions. D- is that an effective kind of way to go about this? And if not, why? Yeah, great question. Because uh, we, we've seen this quite often. So I would say it's partially effective. Um, clearly, um, some crypto exchanges vast, use their names in the wires and the ACH and even in the card descriptors. Um, And some don't. And some do that um, by design, I'd say, um, so that at least they can try to hide themselves from the find all block all issuers, right? That's one strategy is let more transactions flow through. Um, So it's it's problematic in that you can find the low-risk guys it's really hard to find the high risk guys because they're going to try and use some level of obscurity if you're just name matching. And it's hard to find some of the high risk guys because they're, they're way down the list on coinmarketcap.com, right? It's just, it's, they're hard to find. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, just to, to use one example, uh, there was a, you know, a large crypto exchange that's now defunct that, didn't didn't trade under its uh, didn't appear under its own name, but it appeared under Westshire Realms LLC. Yeah. Um, so you know that, that's not necessarily gonna you're not gonna connect that back to crypto if you have name screening alone in place. So. Yeah, and I'll just pick on another one. I won't tell you who the real exchange is, but you can probably figure it out if you Google it enough. But uh, there, there's one. It's Payword Ventures. So um, and, and I'm sure you know you don't think of payward ventures as a crypto exchange but it is it's one of the largest ones in the world but if people don't know that if they don't know what the actually legal name is name matching just doesn't work so really what they need to do in in the card world which is one of the things we help them with from mastercard and cypher traces you know we have the card descriptors because all of these are set up in an mcc code of 6051 with what we call a p70 tag and so we have 100% coverage of all the card descriptors across both the major payment brands, right? So they all fit in kind of the same thing. So we can give you 100% matching capability on credit and debit. That's not a problem. On the on the ACH wires and, and SWIFT type stuff, we have many of the bank accounts that the exchanges use to receive funds from consumers. So if if you wanted to move funds, Brian, to a major exchange, they'll give you different options. One of it is do a do a bank transfer. And so we kind of know what those receiving accounts look like. 
Um, and we identify those for matching capabilities. And that really helps the banks, not only on the card side, but on the account to account side as well. No, great. Thank you for that. That's a great perspective on how to manage that beyond just, you know, sticking the names on the list, right? And this brings us to my next question, which is, you know, we're already kind of talking about it and we've touched on it before, but, you know, risk management in the issuer acquirer space, it sounds like there's a lot of the same techniques you can apply or approaches you can use as you would managing other types of potential financial crime or listed finance, fraud risk, so on and so forth. How does risk management change and how doesn't it change in light of adopting crypto? So, you know, I I like to think it's quite similar, but what's different is it's crypto. And and a lot of people have a different view of what crypto is. Um, What I tell issuers and acquirers and even regulators around the world is, your number one starting point is get some training. Find out what this stuff is, how it works, get an account at an exchange, actually buy $10 worth of crypto. Then go find, you want to get really um, exciting, go find a crypto ATM and buy one on an ATM and and sort of learn how these things work. I think that's the most important thing because once you understand how you can buy and sell crypto, and if you're you have experience doing risk mitigation and AML and fraud, the pieces start to come together pretty quickly. It's just a new ecosystem, right? But but there's a lot of confusion because some of the terminology is different. Transactions flow seven days a week, 24 hours a day, much different than traditional commerce. Um, And so just understanding that, having a baseline framework for understanding how crypto works and how it transacts, I think is the key thing to and then you'll see it starts to fall into the same buckets. You know, they do the same kind of, uh, there's the same type of AML and fraud threats, basically, um, but they can happen quicker, for sure. Yeah, fantastic point there. And and you mentioned something that uh, I think is is important, which is, you know, the word regulators came up. Uh, it's, got, it's come up a couple of times in this conversation, but we haven't haven't dove into it uh, too much. So I'll, I want to go to the regulatory view of this next, and that's, you know, in the past, I know regulators have cast, at least some have cast something of a jaundiced eye on the crypto space. And there's been some evolution in, in thinking there and maybe some fair points in, in, in doing so. But um, what to what extent do you think that there has been a change or an evolution in regular regulatory expectations in in this space related to you know the traditional financial system uh, interacting with cryptocurrency. Yeah, so that's another great question. Um, you know, I think it varies um, depending on where you are in the world. Um, I think if we look at you know just talk about Europe first, there seems to be a lot of clarity occurring for crypto regulation within the European region. Um, so I think it's they're starting to set the rules where the ecosystem starts to understand it and can start to abide by it. And some of the other markets in the world, including the US, I think they're taking a much heavier hand approach. We'll see what works more longer term, but clearly on a global basis, regulators are starting to understand this stuff really, really well. And they're putting pen to paper and they're creating regulations, guidelines. And in some cases, you know, they're looking at penalties and fees for 
not adhering to regulations and guidelines, but but I think the uh, the ecosystem is growing up really. If you look at it from an issuer, acquirer, and a regulator perspective, and even the exchanges themselves, they're all getting better at what they're doing. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's really you know one of the encouraging things that that I've seen in the, the crypto space, maybe more so than certain areas of you know traditional finance, is a willingness and a sort of openness to collaborate. A lot of public-private partnership, you know, a lot of discussions back and forth between a lot of different parties, both you know, crypto businesses and blockchain analytics firms and government agencies in this space, you know, to to manage risks and to identify illicit actors. So, um, so that's been a positive thing, and it you know definitely has kind of contributed to a a development sort of in tandem the maturity of. The crypto industry with sort of the maturity of, of thinking and planning for regulatory frameworks around it. Um, uh, so let's close out, you know, with some, with some final thoughts here um, and some final perspectives. You have a wealth of experience, as we started talking about, and as is very obvious from this conversation. Um, and you've given some great, you know, practical recommendations for, you know, how to manage these risks and how to approach the crypto space, you know, in general, um, what advice would you have to the audience and particularly some of the folks out there who are risk managers in this space and charged with, with managing these risks? Any closing thoughts on that note? Yeah. Um, so again, there's risks and opportunities with crypto, especially if you, you know, connect it to the traditional financial system. So the opportunities are their new revenue streams for participating and interfacing into the crypto ecosystem, but there's new risks too. So you kind of have to manage both of them hand in hand. There's tools out there, you know, within MasterCard and, and CypherTrace, um, we have a lot of tools where we're helping issuers around the world. We, we launched one called Crypto Secure um, about a year ago. It, turned it on for every single issuer in the MasterCard ecosystem to allow them to see what their crypto exposure is on the MasterCard rails. So these are things we're doing to really make the ecosystem more safe and secure. And we can we can really tell it's working too, because if we look at 22 over 2023 numbers, um, we can see approval rates going up. We can see decline rates going down. And most importantly, we see fraud rates going down. So while we're approving more, declining less, fraud's going down. So if you start looking at the stuff we're doing to help acquirers, issuers, and even educating the regulators, it's working. So it's we're making it more safe and secure for the entire ecosystem. We're not going to stop. We're going to get better. We've got some big goals in front of us. But, but I think uh, that's the main thing. For anybody that's sort of out there, whether you're an issuer, acquirer, or even a regulator, have a risk mitigation strategy but also think about it from a risk and an opportunity perspective, because both of those things you need to consider. You don't want to chase away your customers. You want to participate in the revenue stream where it makes sense based on your tolerance level as an as a organization. But there's clearly risks and opportunities for everybody out there to, to participate in. 
Excellent. Steve, thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, closing on an optimistic note, right? Um, and again, bringing it back to that overall goal and overall big picture perspective of improving the entire ecosystem for all participants. And that's really what you can do, you know, by properly managing these risks, building out the right framework and, you know, not just saying no or turning away from it or blocking everything, but uh, like any other, you know, product set of payment rails, right? This can be something that benefits your consumers, your users, general public, and others, um, while being something that you can manage the risks of. So it's great to great to hear that. Uh, great to hear that input. Uh, again, add just to leave with Brian. So the, mm -hmm. other the crypto ecosystem brings to the world is there's an ability to serve a different type of customer. So clearly, you're still serving the traditional consumer within the global financial system. But you're also able to reach out and serve the unbanked and the underbanked, which is, I think, really important when you think about inclusion on giving everybody access to financial services. Somebody may not be ready for a credit card or debit card yet or a bank account, yet they can participate in sort of the crypto side of the ecosystem and start to be able to have electronic payments working for them, especially remittances and so forth. So, so I think the fact that it really does enable the underbanked and the unbanked, as well as the banked, I, I think that's an important part of the ecosystem story. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic point, that financial in inclusivity point. And, you know, for, for us and at least me in the United States, I and a lot of the the folks here, I know we a lot of people view crypto as an investment or an alternative financial asset, right? But in other parts of the world, it's already a reality that crypto is part of the the way to build financial inclusivity. You look at places like Nigeria or Vietnam or Venezuela, where remittances, you know, safeguarding assets from inflation, so on and so forth, are are a part of the crypto story right now. So, uh, so great points there, and a great way to you know again end on that note of of the big picture. So. Uh, Steve, really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Uh, again, my guest has been Steve Ryan from CypherTrace, now part of MasterCard. They're doing fantastic work in the blockchain analytics and risk management space. Uh, and it's always great to, uh, to speak with you. So I encourage everyone to visit their website and learn more about everything they have to offer. Uh, if you like this episode of the Financial Crimecast, we have many more on offer, including quite a few in the crypto uh, topic as well. So our podcasts are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many others places where your favorite podcasts live. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day, everyone.